Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm your host, Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 392. Today's show is brought to you by Mint Mobile. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Inside Science series, we're speaking today with Dr. Dan Hooper. Dr. Dan Hooper is a senior scientist and head of the Theoretical Astrophysics Group at the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory. Dr. Hooper is with us today to discuss the discoveries about how our cosmos evolved over the past 13.8 billion years, knowing full well that there remains a critical gap in our knowledge. We still know very little about what happened in the first seconds after the Big Bang. Dan Hooper tells us how we are using the Large Hadron Collider and other experiments to recreate the conditions of the Big Bang and to address mysteries such as how our universe came to contain so much matter and so little antimatter. Could these tools enable us to discover the nature of dark matter and how it was formed in our universe's first moments? Can we lift the veil on the era of cosmic inflation, which led to the creation of our world as we know it and the sheer advances of the science of cosmology over the last half century? By any reasonable standard, the science of cosmology has had a spectacular century. 100 years ago, we knew nothing about our universe's distant past and certainly nothing about its origin. But building upon Einstein's vision of space and time, astronomers discovered that our universe is expanding. And by the late 60s, it was clear that our universe had emerged over billions of years from a hot, dense state that we call the Big Bang. For the first time, human beings have begun to understand how their universe began. Since then, cosmologists have steadily pieced together the history of our universe from the first moments to the present. The past several decades have witnessed a diverse array of high-precision measurements that have enabled us to reconstruct our universe's past in new ways and with unprecedented detail. By measuring the expansion rate of our universe, the patterns of light released in the formation of the first atoms, the distribution of space, um, distributions in space of galaxies and galaxy clusters, and the abundances of various chemical species, we were able to confirm that our universe had expanded and evolved in just the way that the Big, the Big Bang Theory had long predicted. Our universe looked more comprehensible than ever before. And yet not all is understood. Despite our considerable efforts, there remain essential facets of our universe that we simply do not know how to explain, especially pertaining to the first seconds and fractions of a second that followed the Big Bang. When it comes to the origin and youth of our universe, mysteries continue to abound. Of course, that was our guest today, scientist, cosmologist, and best-selling author Dan Hooper, reading from his new book, At the Edge of Time, Exploring the Mysteries of Our Universe's First Seconds. Please join me in welcoming via internet phone to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. Dan Hooper. Dan Hooper, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. I think this subject is a fascinating one, and I really want to get into it quickly. I know you're very busy, but I also know that my audience is going to really be eager to learn more about this. So why don't you tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? So this presentation is going to follow closely the material that's in my new book, At the Edge of Time. This is a book that I've written because over the last couple of decades, uh, the science of cosmology has really begun to change. Um, we used to have a lot of reasons to think that we understood the first second or even fractions of a second after the Big Bang. 
But the more we've uh, conducted measurements and experiments and, and other investigations, the more we've been surprised by what we found. Um, at this point, I think it's fair to say um, that a lot is up for grabs about how these first formative moments of our universe's history played out. And that's really what the book's about, and that's what I hope to tell people about uh, at, and during this uh, event of Smithsonian. Well, we're looking forward to it. And so I want to ask you a very basic question right up front here, too. As a cosmologist, we, we hear this phrase all the time, Big Bang. Why don't you tell us what it is? And, and, and more importantly, I tell, tell us why it is important. Good. So part of the reason why you might be confused about what the phrase means is, is our fault, meaning the, the cosmologist's fault, because we use it in two different ways. Sometimes when people use the phrase the Big Bang, what they mean is this singular moment of or singular point, singularity in space and time that the universe uh, may have started at, at you know, 13.8 billion years ago. The other usage is really just saying that the universe in the past was very hot and very dense and it's not necessarily a singular thing or an individual thing, but this hot and dense state. And as the universe expanded and cooled, it became the thing we see around us. I usually mean the second thing when I use it. So I don't necessarily mean the very moment of creation or something. But I instead mean since we know that the universe has been expanding and we can watch um, the history of the universe as it's expanded from this smaller and smaller and hotter and hotter point uh, in, in time 13.8 billion years ago, we call this sort of initial hot, dense state the Big Bang. So we're catching up to you today at Fermilab. Is that, is that right? Is that is that where we're, we're talking right. to you today? Great. Now, Fermilab is is the National Accelerator Laboratory. So um, some years ago, we had the world's biggest particle accelerator here. It was called the Tevatron. But the Tevatron has been retired, and now the Large Hadron Collider has, has taken its uh, mantle as the world's biggest particle accelerator. Uh, the Large Hadron Collider is in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, and it actually it's, mm. it's so big that it doesn't fit in Switzerland. It, fall, it falls across the border into, into France <laughs> as well. Um, so the, the, the Large Hadron Collider, we call it the LHC usually, is this uh, uh, enormous underground tunnel, big circular tunnel, miles and miles long. And around that tunnel, they have powerful magnets and they accelerate protons to nearly the speed of light. And those protons get collided together head on to, in an effort to put as much energy into one place at one time as possible. And in these collisions, we kind of recreate the conditions that our universe contained um, a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. So we can't see our universe as it was a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. Our telescopes simply can't uh, see that into that kind of dense plasma of, of quarks and other sorts of weird exotic matter. It's just too thick and opaque. But we can recreate the conditions and try to study how matter and energy behaves um, in that sort of environment. So one of the things we try to do with the Large Hadron Collider is understand how the laws of physics seem to work and, and infer what our universe was like in that very, very early tiny fraction of a second after the Big Bang. Hi, this is Paul, and we'll be right back with our excellent Inside Science author interview segment featuring scientist, cosmologist, Dr. Dan Hooper about his fascinating, important book, At the Edge of Time, exploring the mysteries of our universe's first seconds. 
You know, here on the Not Old Better Show, we talk a lot about history. And today's sponsor, Mint Mobile, will be treated well by history with their excellent products, rates, plans, and service, all to cut your wireless phone bill. Today's sponsor, Mint Mobile, is all about making it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. That's right. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself, what am I paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything you need to do for your cellular coverage is handled by you online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. Plus, and we talk about this a lot here on the Not Old Better Show, the setup. Using the Mint Mobile video, there's just one that you have to watch, and your account is remarkably easy. I've been using the phone for a few days now and will be traveling with it next week, but the coverage has been thorough and complete. Mint Mobile does what it says they'll do. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. The simple website provides an easy choice between three plans with three, eight, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. And every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. Use your own phone number with any Mint mobile plan, and you can keep that number along with all of your existing contacts. Hear me on this. With Mint Mobile, stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use and ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash not old better. That's mintmobile.com slash not old better. All this will be in our show notes. Thanks, everybody. And now back to our author interview with scientist, cosmologist, and author, Dr. Dan Hooper. We are with Dan Hooper. Dan Hooper is going to be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program, the Inside Science Series, Tuesday, October 29th. Dan Hooper has written the new book, At the Edge of Time, Exploring the Mysteries of Our Universe's First Seconds. Again, this is fascinating stuff to me, and, and I want to I want to talk to you about now, I'd like to dive in a little bit and talk more specifics with you about what are the important recent discoveries about about the beginnings of our universe and what what have you really learned recently that um, that has been that's driving you and what what are we still yet to discover about the universe? So the last 20 years has been an incredibly momentous uh, era in the in, in the science of cosmology. Over that period of time, we have measured uh, the distribution of galaxies in our universe, the light that was pr- produced when the, the Big Bang uh, w- was o- only a few hundred thousand years in the, in the rear view mirror, and uh, things like uh, the expansion history of the universe, how fast it's been expanding at different times. We've measured all those things to wildly greater precision than we ever thought we could. Um, it's really been uh, an incredible era. And as we've done that, uh, we've found some pretty big surprises. We always thought that our universe would be uh, expanding, but at a slower and slower rate. It would kind of be uh, coasting. 
uh, gradually slowing down. But that's not true. It turns out our universe is expanding faster today than it was in the past. It's accelerating. Uh, we don't know why, but we call the energy that's responsible for it dark energy. And we would like to know why dark energy exists, but we, we don't really have a clue. Uh, we also know that most of the matter in our universe isn't made of atoms. It's made of something else that doesn't appreciably reflect, absorb, or radiate light. We call this stuff dark matter. But we don't know what it is. And in fact, we had some pretty good ideas for what it would be. Uh, but we did the experiments to try to find it, and they didn't work. Well, I mean, the experiments were successful, but the dark matter didn't show up. So we are being, we are being forced now in the last uh, you know, several years to pretty radically rethink what we think this stuff is. The dark matter isn't the kind of stuff we had long imagined. Also, we don't really know how the ordinary matter that fills our universe survived the Big Bang. Um, in the Big Bang, our th our, as we, all the laws of physics as we understand them say that there should have been equal amounts of matter and antimatter created. And all that matter and antimatter should have destroyed itself, and that would have left our universe empty or at least devoid of atoms. And yet we look around and we see atoms all over the place. So something about the laws of physics as we understand them must be wrong, and we don't know what that is. But uh, we have some ideas, but um, no way of really uh, figuring out which of those ideas is most likely to be right. And then last, we have pretty good, at least circumstantial, arguments to support the idea that when the universe was really young, it almost explosively expanded in something we call cosmic inflation. It got really, really big, really, really fast, dramatically transforming the universe in the blink of an eye. And yet we don't understand how this happened or why. We can kind of tell that it did, but uh, there are way more open questions about this you know, formative epic of our cosmic history than there are things we actually know about it. How do you get young scientists excited about studying this alongside you? What is it that is driving them to pick up this work and to carry it forward? Well, I can't speak for them, but I can tell you that when I was entering this field, mm -hmm. no one had to work very hard to get me excited. <laughs> um, as soon as I heard about it, as soon as I learned anything about it at all, I was instantly hooked. And I think a lot of people who do this for a living feel that way. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm an intellectually curious guy. Um, it doesn't take a lot to get me excited about profound and uh, kind of earth-shaking sort of ideas. And uh, fortunately, there are a lot of people uh, who feel that way. So if you, uh, if you take a, a room full of university students or something and explain to them how, the, what, how we know that the Big Bang happened, um, that we explain things like space itself can change, it can expand or contract and warp and do things like this, and that we can actually work out what the universe was like a billion years ago or 10 billion years ago or even as close as a second or a fraction of a second after the Big Bang. Yeah, a lot of people will respond with great enthusiasm to that. It's really not much of a, a challenge mm -hmm. to do that. Well, your new book, the book titled uh, The Edge of Time Exploring the Mysteries of Our Universe's First Second is getting rave reviews. I've had a chance to look at those reviews, and it's really an honor to speak to you. It's interesting, I read about the book, too, that it's neither dumbed down nor overly difficult. So in your research and in your, your expertise, what, what did you learn that surprised you? So I didn't like 
go out of my way to learn a lot of new science to write this book. This is the sort of science that I do, you know, every day of the week. So I mostly just talked about what I already knew. But what I did have to research is some of the history and some of the, you know, how did we get there? How did we learn the things that we know today? And there's a lot of surprising history. Um, for example, the very first paper I would say on the field of cosmology ever is this really interesting paper uh, that Einstein wrote very shortly after he uh, invented or discovered the theory of general relativity. And he knew that his theory should say something about cosmology, namely it should say something about the, the universe as a whole. But when he worked on that, um, he kind of didn't like what he found, what he, what he, what he found. He, he deduced from his equations that the universe should really be expanding or contracting. But he was pretty sure, for reasons I don't really understand, that the universe must be static. It must be unchanging on large scales with time. So he invented uh, whole new parts of his theory and kind of changed it and kind of uh, added fudge factors. And he set up this really wild theory that became known as Einstein's world. Let me tell you a few things about Einstein's world. In Einstein's world, if you traveled at a great speed in some random direction, point in some direction, if you traveled far enough for long enough, you'd eventually come out the other side. So you could circumnavigate the universe that Einstein was talking about. Um, it was kind of like, uh, do you remember the old uh, video game Asteroids, uh, arcade <laughs> game from the 80s? I do, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to play that when I was a kid. So um, if you fly your ship off the side of an asteroid screen, what happens to the ship? <laughs> Gone. No, it comes back on the other side. Uh-huh. Okay. It's The screen like wraps around on itself. And Einstein's world does the same thing. If okay. you fly far enough in one direction, you just come out on the opposite side uh, of okay. the universe. So Einstein's world was, um, you know, pretty wild in this sense. It's not, it's not the world we live in, um, but that was a pretty interesting piece of history uh, to discover. Uh, that is fascinating. Dr. Dan Hooper, thank you so much for your time today, author of the new book, At the Edge of Time, Exploring the Mysteries of Our Universe's First Seconds. Appearing at the Smithsonian Associates program coming up Tuesday, October 29th. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I know this, uh, this program is getting an awful lot of attention. We sure appreciate your generous time today. So we'll look forward to seeing you on October 29th. But thanks. I'm so looking much. forward to it. Thank you. It'll be great. All right. Thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. My special thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's show. And my thanks to Dan Hooper for joining me today. Please check out the Not Old Better Show website for more details about Dan Hooper's Smithsonian Inside Science event on October 29th, 2019 at the Freer Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. And of course, my thanks always to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. The Not Old Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody.